Welcome back to Basically Anxious, your favorite Zillennial podcast. Hi guys. Today we are back with a very interesting topic that was actually requested by Tressa. So shout out to Tressa if you are listening to this episode. Um, Today we're actually going to be sharing just our thoughts and opinions on the ways in which we see modern day cults or behaviors in our lives. And in preparation for today's episode, we both listened to the podcast Sounds Like a Cult by Amanda Montel and Issa Medina. Um, And they have a bunch of episodes essentially where they talk about cult-like things that you could argue are, you know, in our daily lives. So we each listened to a few episodes um, and we want to give credit to them because that's what really kind of inspired this. And we just thought it'd be fun to talk about for ourselves and I don't know, see what you guys all think. But before we do that, we are going to quickly do our re- our weekly recap. <laughs> so Shosh, take it away. Yeah. Um, so not a whole lot to update. Uh, my first note on here is drinking on weekdays. is a No. <laughs> and I mean, like, not really a no. It's just like, wow. Like, like, it's really crazy. Like when you stopping in like the routine of like consistently going out or drinking or like whatever, like your body really gets used to not like poisoning it every week. Yeah. And I've like been going out and like doing things and um, drinking on weekdays a few weeks in a row. And like, oh my God, it literally takes me like a day and a half to like fully bounce back from it. And it's, I don't know, it, it's, it's wild. It's like this weird, um, I feel like we're in this like interesting phase of life where like so much of like your social life really revolves around like going out for drinks after work and stuff like that. And it's like, if you want to maintain a social life, like a lot of it, you know, just traditionally revolves around drinking and, you know, we like enjoy drinking, but yeah, it is interesting kind of trying to find the fine line of having a social life and, not ruining your work day for yourself because mm-hmm. it's hate making your life tougher when it's already tough to be a, a full-time working gal. Um, something really exciting that did happen over this past week is we got a bunch of snow. Um, we had like a big storm that came through. I think there was actually like multiple storms going through um, the like mid eastern southern parts of the country. Um, but we had, I guess what it was technically considered a blizzard that like stopped for a brief moment in um, New York City. I mean, it was maybe like 10 hours that it was here. Um, we started seeing snow around Friday morning, kind of on and off, and then started coming down heavy in like the middle of the night um, between Friday and Saturday. And then I woke up on Sunday, Saturday and it was just like eerily quiet. And I look out my mm-hmm. window and like my, my like fire escape was like covered in snow and I'm just like freaking out in bed. I was just like, this is so exciting. This is the most amount of snow I've ever seen. I've only ever seen it actually like snow from the sky that I remember maybe twice in my life. So, um, it like really didn't snow a whole lot when I was living in Seattle and being born and raised in California, like that's not something you typically see. Um, so it was really exciting. It was so much fun. And I was very lucky to be able to be indoors, not having to like work or do anything or like <laughs> yeah. travel or any of that stuff. So I got to just like enjoy it from like the comfort of my home and just like got to stay like cozy and warm and watch movies and stuff like that. And um, it was so fun. And then the next day we went and played it in the snow. And it was like a beautiful sunny day. Like, oh my God. 
Um, it was like definitely cold, but it was like beautiful mm-hmm. and sunny. And like Central Park was just like literally looked like a wonderland. It was insane. Um, and yeah, it was just really cool. It was my first New York snow and I really enjoyed it. And like I said, I'm very lucky. I got to enjoy it from the comfort of my home and like none of my power went out or anything. And it was like, as much as it was like a storm, it was from what I saw fairly manageable and low key. Like people were still out, like having plans, mm-hmm. like stores and like restaurants were still open, um, sadly, but, um, yeah, it was really fun. That's probably the most monumental thing that happened over the past week, but it was really fun. <laughs> Yay. Well, I'm glad you got to experience that. It honestly sounds very magical and there really is like nothing better than like waking up to like fresh snow yeah. and like everything just feels like so like it was like powdery. Yeah. Like yeah. I've never seen it. snow that's literally like powder. Like it was just wild and it was just like a magical and it's lasted for quite a few days. Like today's mm-hmm. the first day where it started to melt, but yeah, you're right. Nothing better. I don't have a whole lot to update on. I feel like things have been pretty chill out over here. Um, but I did want to mention that our first choice for our wedding photographer finally replied to us. We've been like trying to hunt her down for probably like a few months now. And we've been like ghosted by her. And then she was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm going to be working in 2023, all this stuff. And finally, we were like, okay, we're just going to be really annoying and send her a follow-up email. And like, if she doesn't respond to us, we will go like pick someone else. So we did that on Monday. She didn't respond to us. So on Tuesday, I told our wedding planners, I was like, okay, we're going to go with someone else. And then this morning she emailed us back and was like, I would love to work with you. Blah, 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 blah. So yay. Finally worked out. And I'm so relieved because I feel like that was like the one big thing that was like not keeping me up at night, but that I was like worried about. Cause obviously like the photos and the video are like, what's really important. Cause that's like the one thing that's going to last forever aside from our love. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so that was very exciting and I, and I can't wait for that. Um, and then I did want to update you guys on my fitness journey. I went to <laughs> F45 the last time we talked and I'm actually going again after this, but I think that after my trial is up, I'm not going to go back. It's like, I think for me, when I do like a group fitness class, I want like the instructor to be like very engaged with you. And like, I feel like that's why I'm going to the class. And this was like very much like self-motivated, which I think is fine, but it's like, you pretty much just do everything by yourself. And someone kind of just like walks around and looks at you, but mm. like don't really like do anything. And all of the exercises and routines and stuff, they're on like screens. So you're really following a screen, not like an actual person. And I mm. think I just didn't like love it as much, but it was a good workout. And I think it just ended up not being like my style. So I totally. would go a few more times and then I will face that out but that's all (laughs) yeah I mean thank you for the update at least now people can make the decision for themselves and like you know what fitness journey works for them um and yeah kudos for you for trying new things you know it's work new workout classes are always like a bit intimidating so Mm -hmm. always scary yeah all right so let's get into it um so we have like four different topics um for modern day cults Mm -hmm. and like lynn said this is totally inspired by the podcast sounds like a cult um so i highly recommend going and checking out their podcasts um they're 
they're like 30 minute episodes and they are very well educated on these topics and they have like a rating scale, which is like kind of cool where they're like, is it like watch your back or like run far or like basically rating like different types of like cults that we see in our life and like what's really like if the cost of leaving is like really high or mm-hmm. if it's more like soul cycle, like what we're going to talk about. Um, so their episode about soul cycle really piqued my interest. Um, because Lynn and I once upon a time and you pretty much kind of still are, um, were big cycle fans and, um, we, I mean, you have a Peloton now, right? Mm-hmm. So you can- arguably also a cult. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's really funny how like the whole act of like indoor cycling has become a cult in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but these girls talked about Soul Cycle specifically, and I want to hear your experience with Soul Cycle, like when you heard about it. Um, but I this became really popular when I was in college, and people. Well, so I I went to college in Southern California, so you can already see I'm you know we're in an environment where like going to like fun, richy, like mm-hmm. workout classes is like totally like the vibe of Southern California. So right. when SoulCycle like blew up, it was like a phenomenon. Like people like freaked out over it and were like obsessed with it. Like we did like SoulCycle fundraisers, like all of the things. Um, I had a really close friend of mine who like became like a, an employee who worked the front desk and then became an instructor. And she was like obsessed with like soul cycle. Um, would like always try to get us to go and like get us good deals and stuff like that. So I've definitely had my fair share of the soul cycle experience. Mm-hmm. And I've seen how it kind of translated into like other kind of cycling experiences. Like, you know, Lynn and I used to go to burn cycle in Seattle and now you have a Peloton. Um, okay. So tell me about how you have first experienced soul cycle in your life. Like what, when it came about, when you heard about it, your first experiences. Okay. So fun fact, I have actually never been to soul cycle. I will like explain my reasoning behind that because I feel like it completely goes with what we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, I feel like I like you hear soul cycle and I feel like it's literally like, not like a household name, but it's something that like everyone knows about soul cycle. So like, I always knew what it was, but I've never gone. I've always still had this like intrigue to go, which again, I think kind of goes back to this whole idea of it being kind of like a cult. Um, but I never went because I was always like, oh my gosh, like that certain environment of like what soul cycle is like just the kind of like elite feeling. I feel like you get when you go to a class like that, just the whole entire experience. I was always like, Ooh, like, I don't want to be a part of that. Like that. Oh yeah. I never went. But in turn, I would always seek out like an alternative to that. Like, hence mm. why we discovered burn cycle. And now that I like think about it, I mean, just even like sitting here, like I feel like almost like a lot, like pretty much all of these like group fitness, like huge platforms. I feel like you could arguably like say that they all kind of give off that same cult like feel. Mm-hmm. Like I think about even just like F45 now, like yeah. that is like a whole little thing in itself. Um so long story short, I've never been to soul cycle. I know mm-hmm. that it's huge. Obviously it's something that I still have this like weird urge to try. Um, I know there are a few in Seattle and I've definitely considered going and probably will eventually to mm-hmm. be quite honest, but, um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I will say, I think the brand and experience of soul cycle has 
dramatically changed. Um, I think when it became really popular, it was kind of the first of its kind. Like there really truly wasn't um, this like mass, like nationwide obsession over Mm -hmm. like a, um, what did you call like a a group in like a group workout essentially. Um, and I think that, um, there's a reason why it blew up so intensely is because it kind of was a first of its kind. They're not the first people to invent indoor cycling by any means. They probably weren't even the first to invent the idea of like indoor cycling in a group setting with like fun music and an instructor. Um, but they're the ones who did it right. And it blew up. Um, but the reason these these uh, this podcast made this argument of SoulCycle kind of being, and like you said, very similar to like other types of workout platforms, where they were arguing that it it kind of enters this realm of culty vibes, as I like to. Mm-hmm. I think SoulCycle, I think we would deem SoulCycle as like culty vibes, like not a cult, yeah. but like culty vibes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to really sell things that are completely unrelated to your physical health. So it's like, you go to a soul cycle class, you're going to be empowered to like do your taxes today now, or like you go to a soul cycle class and like, you're going to leave your boyfriend and like, you're going to have like the confidence to like leave your boyfriend or like whatever. Um, or like you went to a soul cycle class, like now you can like start your own company. So like they were selling this like whole lifestyle, this whole mindset, this whole, um, this whole like experience scenario, that was completely unrelated to what you're actually doing in class Yeah. now. And this is what I'm really curious to hear your opinion on. Um, as much as I understand the criticism around that, I think you and I really truly felt the effects of like being in a cycling class. Like, and I've, I've been to many soul cycle classes and I much prefer burn cycle in Seattle because the environment was just more comfortable and more relatable and like, just, I don't know, better vibes. Um, but like, they still definitely sold the same experience of like, Mm -hmm. we're here to empower you kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that while it's, you know, can be dangerous to sell something that like really truly like they don't have control over and like mm-hmm. is so outlandish that like can feel a little culty. Um, yeah. I don't know. I feel like you and I would go into cycling classes, like really needing it and walking out there feeling like, fuck, like I, that is mm-hmm. like literally fed my soul. Like that's yeah. really did so much good for my inner self. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? I completely agree with you. And I think that is like a testament to, I guess, like why I think that soul cycle and all of these classes have become what they are because they've done it in such a like subtle way that like, you don't go in there thinking like, like I don't walk into a burn cycle class thinking like, Oh, like today I'm going to leave and like accomplish X, Y, and Z. I go in there knowing that like, I'm going to leave with like what, this certain feeling and yes. this certain feeling of a p- empowerment. And it's like vague enough that like people find a way to apply it to themselves. And like, I think that's why it's so successful. And I think that it is, I think, and this might kind of be a common theme, I think with all of these things, but like, I think to an extent, like that's like healthy for us. Yeah. I've never left and be like, been like, oh, that was weird. And I think as long as you can see behind like the smoke and mirrors of like mm-hmm. all the cool, like workout gear and like all those smoothies and all the like, whatever <laughs> that comes with like going to one of yeah. those classes. I don't think there's anything wrong with like going there knowing that like, you're going to leave feeling better you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, no, totally. And I, that's why I'm saying, like, I, I understand the criticism about soul cycle, but like, 
what they're selling can be so beneficial to people. And like you and I firsthand experienced it from other cycling um, places. And, you know, I know you said that like they do it in a subtle way. I think that's what has made other cycling places more successful is that SoulCycle was so aggressive about it. Mm-hmm. that it can be a turnoff. And that's what I experienced in a lot of soul cycle classes was that it was like a lot or like way too much. And specifically soul cycle was attracting a very, very, very specific demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't necessarily feel like I super fit that demographic. Um, I think like on paper, I probably do, but I didn't really feel like that. And so I think places like burn cycle or, you know, having a Peloton, like makes you feel like you kind of get best of both worlds a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it still like we can be a little more exclusive, which I think yeah. probably leans towards the more culty vibes because it has a very specific demographic versus right. like these other cycling places, these other right. fitness platforms don't really. Right. And I think that's where it kind of becomes harmful because it's like, because of how exclusive it is, it mm-hmm. is like, you feel that sense of like, you want that sense of belonging, but soul cycle makes it harder for you to get that. And I think that's where it kind of like gets a little like iffy. Yeah. Whereas like all of these other like studios, I guess you could argue are like just as culty quote unquote, but like the sense of belonging isn't as hard to achieve. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. The barrier to entry is like yeah. way less. Yeah. yeah. Um, they also made a note of like, like there was like this whole phenomenon phenomenon of like people following cycling instructors at Soul Cycle, and I laughed at that part because you and I fully were guilty of this for like not oh Soul Cycle, yeah. but for like Burn Cycle, <laughs> and like like we were very interested in following the lives of you know mm-hmm. specific um, instructors. I don't know that like it was in an unhealthy way, but I think it's a fair criticism to like point yes. out the culty vibes of something mm-hmm. like that and engaging yeah. in that. Uh-huh. Well, it's funny you say that because it literally think about Peloton. Peloton instructors are literally oh true, literally like Cody Rigsby, yep. Dancing with the Stars. I follow all of my favorite Peloton instructors because I <laughs> want to know what's going on in their lives. I like look up to them as like someone who I guess this is really cheesy, but like as someone who like benefits my life in the sense that like I like their workouts. Um, but it's just so funny you say that because I feel like Peloton really is just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, part of the definition of a cult is a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person <laughs> or thing, which like, remember that sentence because it's going to stay very consistent throughout all four topics we're going to talk yes. on. And like Lynn and I are for sure guilty of this. So, yes. yes. And okay. The last note I have on, on soul cycle being culty vibe or having culty vibes, um, is they they pointed out this idea of Americans having this like really deep rooted obsession with like self improvement mm-hmm. and how that kind of translates to like capital like social capital or like literal capital um, in the United States and like it's that was a really interesting call out to me because I was like yeah we look at these like lifestyle like vloggers and like TikTokers and all of the stuff and especially right now with this whole like that girl like which we'll definitely chat about on another episode um there's definitely this deep-rooted obsession especially I think with young women over self-improvement and Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is tied to going to workout classes um again 
is that really a problem? I don't know. You know, like, I mean, you, if you take into account, like how such a large portion of the um, U.S. population don't have the ability or privilege to engage in this like self-improvement lifestyle it not like there's not an equal opportunity to gain that capital then yeah it's a problem but if you look on on a little bit more of a micro level I think going to workout classes being a part of your self-improvement shouldn't necessarily be a bad thing but I understand the criticism of it for sure yeah no exactly it's like how can you make the argument that like wanting to better yourself is a bad thing yeah it's yeah it's like you said it's like more if you dive deeper into well how are you actually going to go about doing that and like what is your level of obsession with that and like accessibility then then yeah I get into the controversy and the understanding of the criticism but how can you argue that wanting to better yourself is a bad thing yeah totally yeah awesome okay so I thought this one would be fun to talk about um the bachelor bachelorette franchise i think has had major criticisms about having culty vibes for many years mm-hmm. um i know you're not actively watching anymore but i am reinvested especially in this current season with clayton and um but i mean you you were you've been an avid watcher for years um yes. and there wasn't anything super new that they were talking about um but i thought they made an interesting call out that this franchise probably has a more culty environment for folks that are in it versus mm-hmm. watching it. I wonder, I was wondering what your take on that would be. Interesting. I feel like it's because when you initially like brought this topic up in my mind, I was thinking like cult, like more in terms of like the fan base mm. and like the way that like the fans react to bachelor nation and everyone who's a part of it. But you're so right. And I think that is a really good call out because when you think about it, when these people go on to like the bachelor show, like, or bachelorette, they come out of it in like a completely new bubble that you Mm. could argue is pretty, I mean, it's exclusive. It's like very, um, what's the word? Like it gives them like a new sense of status. Um, So I definitely see where that call call out is coming from. And I feel like, I don't know, it kind of is yeah I, I now that you say it too I, I think there's probably major culty vibes on both sides um I think that with social media the uh more cult environment cult-like environment with the cast has increased significantly yeah. um I, I mean these people are making so much money off of just being like Instagram famous essentially from the show and I think because of social media, it has, it has really, really developed into this more like exclusive circle of people. And like, it's really interesting to see the way it's evolved, especially with social media. But, um, I also, I do agree with you because I mean, I think there's been a major shift in the fan base for bachelor, the bachelor bachelorette franchise, because I think a huge chunk of their fan base used to be like Midwest women um watching the show I think that was like a huge chunk of their fan base and I think given the you know shift in political tides a little bit it's become you know you kind of had to pick a side and I think ABC mm-hmm. wanting to make money chose the side of majority and the majority lean more liberal and have yeah. more liberal mindset and ideals and so you know they're picking um cast like a cast of people who 
um, are more liberal and who have more liberal ideologies and they're doing addressing certain things on the shows that are more liberal leaning and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's definitely changed the audience. But at the time when I think it was probably at its peak when I was like in college, like you and I were in college, um, it was like when like things started to shift a little bit with like Rachel Lindsay and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I think there was a lot of backlash from the main fan base um, of those Midwest folks. Um, and I just remember looking at these Facebook groups and my God, these women were just like brutal. Like they were just so intense and so aggressive and just like, were so set on their traditions and their feelings about everything. And I literally had to leave the Facebook groups because it was yeah. just like, whoa, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. no, that's so interesting. Cause like, as you were talking, I feel like in my mind, I was thinking about one about like, you mentioned the shift in social media, which I think is very huge. And like you said, I think really contributes more to like the cult, like, um, I guess behavior of like the more recent casts because they have that kind of like social media bubble. But I think about like the OG people like Jillian and like, um, Ashley and like JP and Sean and Catherine, like they were not immersed in that like social media culture totally. at all. So like to them, I think there was still more of a separation between them and like the bachelor franchise, even though they were like the stars of it. And then what you were saying about like the changing demographic of the people who are actually watching it. I completely agree. I think that that's like why, like, I almost feel like that's kind of why the bachelor franchise has been like going through, I guess, like all of the stuff that they're <laughs> going through and all of the backlash and all of the stuff, because I feel like they just couldn't like, they're trying to appease both sides of the store, like of the audience. And it's like obviously not being received well by what I think largely was their like main target audience before. So I don't know. I think that's just really interesting to note. When you were talking about Rachel Lindsay, I was thinking about, you know, all of the um, feedback and like basically criticism that she gave about her experience within Bachelor Nation. And I feel like that really also speaks to like the cult like tendencies on another level in the sense mm. that, like, of ABC and like the people, the producers behind the show, like pulling all these strings and like making the people kind of like believe one thing and, you know, something not necessarily being true, but like kind of being like the puppet behind, which I yes. think is not something that I had really thought about until just now. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, you just triggered a thought in my brain too. Like if you think about it, like there's, they're literally controlling our, what we're yeah. seeing, like our perception of reality. Like they are in control of that. Like that is wild. I mean, like that's, yeah. that speaks to like reality TV as a whole, but like, I think because bachelor bachelorette tries to really sell it as authentic and it's yeah. love, I think it hits mm -hmm. a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the, these girls were reading off, I think a contract, um, mm -hmm. for these contestants when they sign on and it literally said, like, you basically sign away your rights to everything, but like you basically agree to them distorting reality and possibly portraying you in an embarrassing or unflattering light that mm -hmm. may not be true. Like there's, there was some word, I should have written it down, but there was some wording there that was literally like, we essentially like may lie to the audience about a situation and like, you have to agree to it. Like, yeah. not that you can't speak up against it, but like you have to agree to it. And I was just like, whoa, like that is just like, mm -hmm. why? And then like the, the people going on, they like want to be part of that, like 
I guess, group so bad that they're like, yeah, sure. Take away that right from me, which totally. is so like wild to think about. They brought on um, someone um, from the franchise, like a contestant. And um, they were talking about how like, you know, there's probably like a little bit of a formula for how they cast people. And so they were like, you know, do you think that like people go into the interview process, probably trying to portray them- themselves in a very specific way so that they'll be chosen? And she was like, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's people who are doing that. And she was like, I really, really, really highly recommend against doing that. But like, I know that there's people doing that that are completely altering and changing their like vibe or their story or like whatever so that they fit the mold so that they'll be casted and they can be a part of this like literally cult like life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really wild. Um and then something else I pointed out was this idea of pre-approved language or like very specific phrasing or wording from the bachelor bachelorette franchise and that is just like spot on. Like mm-hmm. they're definitely they were saying that they're like 100% confirmed is pre-approved language and that there's certain words you cannot use. Like, I guess you're not allowed to use like the word process outside of a very specific like sentence, essentially, essentially, you know, like people will be like, trust the process or like experiencing like the process, but they can't refer to it as anything other than like the process of like falling in love or something like Um, that. My God. Yeah. And there's like certain words they just like flat out can't use or they can't acknowledge certain things. Um, But then if you think about like the way that people talk in their like confessionals, these girls use the exact same wording and phrases. Like it's so interesting how this franchise has cultivated like a language essentially mm-hmm. that people use in this world this bachelor yeah. bachelorette world when they're on the show and it's so subtle too because like I feel like to be quite honest like when I've watched the show I think it's like I know that they're all kind of, like you know they're all roughly saying the same thing and like it in your mind you're like oh like haha it's funny like that's a joke like that's how the show is you just expect that but like to actually hear kind of like that that is something that's like very intentional mm-hmm. it's is wild because it doesn't come off as intentional yeah at least it never has to me and I would assume that it probably hasn't come off that way to the majority of the audience interesting one um okay I thought this one would be like super (laughs) applicable to you and I we might even feel a little called out um but they did an episode on celebrity standom and stand culture Mm -hmm. um and um basically something that they right off the bat so they covered like a few different celebrities and one of them was like Elon Musk um Taylor Swift and then someone else but I honestly I think the idea of like celebrity stand-up is something you and I could really talk about mm-hmm. um I think we generally have like a lot to say about this kind of stuff especially yes. with social media but the first thing that they talked about on this episode was you know uh, we all have like people celebrities whoever that we like like die hard love like ride or die but they were like when push comes to shove like something bad comes out about them or something really negative or problematic comes about them do you reevaluate your like allegiance or like appreciation or love or your standom um towards that celebrity or do you kind of like full speed ahead i'm a stand they can do no wrong okay how do you feel I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about all of the conversations that you and I have had about (laughs) our favorite people doing shitty things and us being like, where do you draw the line of Mm -hmm. do I reevaluate 
you know, my loyalties to you, like, what do I do? And I think this is one of those things that we, I think we've talked about this on the podcast many times before about this is where you have to like draw the line of where do you respect someone as an artist and where do you respect someone as a person? And I think Mm -hmm. when it comes to like celebrity standum, that line is like so far crossed that like, it's hard to be like this person did wrong. And Mm -hmm. I see why that's hard. And I think that's something that's really hard to admit, but it's true because I think you sit there and you're like, I've placed so much loyalty and like value in like what I think of you as a celebrity. And then it's, 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 it's kind of like, not that this is the same thing at all, but it's like, if someone in your life, like your family or your friend, like does something really bad, your first response is usually like, oh, but I know them. They wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, and I feel like that's kind of what happens when you place all of this value on celebrities. So I think the right answer is that Yes, if someone does something bad, you should obviously reevaluate your priorities, where you stand on things. I think that also varies like to the degree of like what what it is that the issue is. But at the end of the day, if it's not something that aligns with your values and your morals, the obvious answer is yes, you should rethink that. That's a lot easier said than done. Um, yeah, I think like when you hear that sentence, you're like, oh yeah, of course I would. And then you start to think about like who those like celebrities are in your life. And I'm like, okay, Taylor Swift, um, Sean Mendez, Chris Evans. Um, like, and you you start to think like, like really, where is that line? Like, it's, it's really interesting. It really, 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 really is interesting to think about. I actually think it's really important to probably think about, mm-hmm. um, but on that note, um, so Tiffany Haddish just recently got arrested for a DUI in Georgia. Um, and this one was really interesting. I feel so strongly against drinking and driving. Like it's such a clear line in the sand for me. It's very black and white to me. There is no forgiveness in my brain for something like that. I mean, if it came to family, it's, it, that's different. We're not talking about family. We're talking about celebrity standum. And I'm, I'm not saying that like someone in my family would like get a pass or anything, but like, I, I'm just, it's not the same thing. I, when I heard this news about her and like, I wouldn't consider myself like a Tiffany Haddish, like Stan, but I love her, like yeah. love her. And I was just like, in complete shock and just like my heart was crushed and I was like where do I go from here like as a fan like where do I go from here like where like it was just a weird battle of like moral values in my brain where I was just like there's no reasoning excuse or anything that could justify this action in any world ever like I don't care what happened there's no world in which that is an okay action and so I or like even remotely understood and then I was just like like this is Tiffany Haddish like she's so unproblematic and like she's so like all like it was just like I couldn't reconcile the two things um and you know I made my personal decision about it and whatever but like I mean like if that was like Chris Evans or like like Taylor Swift, like that you have to like really think about it. And it like kind of fucks with your head a little bit when you start to think about like how much, how invested you are in celebrities when, you know, shit like this happens. But 
So more specifically, um, there's definitely a lot of criticism about this artist um, and her standum, um, given that she's one of the biggest celebrities in the entire world, Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Um, the example that they provided in this episode was about the line that um, they used in Ginny and Georgia, um, this Netflix TV show. Did you watch that show? I tried and I didn't like it so I stopped (laughs) okay I I never watched it but I did hear about this drama yeah I guess one of the characters made a dig that was like you go through more men than Taylor Swift Taylor Swift caught wind of it she tweeted about it basically like just throwing major shade at like the producers and Netflix um and was just like really upset about it and then I didn't know this I didn't know this at the time but I guess people went like her fans went ballistic and went to Rotten Tomatoes and wrecked the score and the reviews online of Mm -hmm. this TV show. Um, And it took away from so much of the press of this TV show. It people predicted that it could have done way better than it did because Taylor Swift like painted it in Mm -hmm. such a negative light. Um, Then the, the, you know, the, uh, this is when I had to really start thinking about my Taylor Swift standum because they started to critique her and I was sitting here listening to it. And I was like, this is harsh. Like, this is really harsh criticism. And I was like, okay, where is that coming from? Like, why do I feel like such a visceral reaction to someone like coming for Taylor Swift? Um, and so I really took a second to think about it, but they basically said like, yeah, I really didn't like that. I didn't really appreciate that. Like, can't she just take a joke? Like blah, 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 blah. Like she's just so cannot take a joke and all this stuff. And I was just thinking like, that's really harsh. And I stand by that. And I stand by that. Um, I think that's a very harsh criticism. I actually think Taylor Swift's very good at taking a joke. I think she spoke up one time about one line in one TV show. And now everybody's like, you can't take a joke. Like, think about how much shit this girl's been taking for, like, the decade she's been famous. Like, my God, she was going to stand up for herself for one thing. Like, I agree. That maybe wasn't the thing to, like, stand up about. But, like, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's fair to say that she, like, can't take a joke. Anywho, that's all to go. That's all to say that this idea of celebrities having this like whole fan base has started to turn into like cult followings and like cult like behavior with social media. Okay, I have so many thoughts on this. First of all, you know about my personal feelings about Taylor Swift. I think mm-hmm. I spoke a little bit about this, obviously when read the, t- or all too well, the 10 minute version came out and how Jake Dylan Hall was absolutely being slandered. Mm-hmm. That's a great example. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, that is just another example of these fan bases being so out of control and so cult-like, but then it kind of becomes like, well, what, how much of it is the celebrity's responsibility to like right. take ownership of this, I guess, fan base that, that, that they've created. I just want to jump in really quick and say, I agree with you. I think there is a very interesting conversation to be had around the celebrity's responsibility and the way that social media has also given people the platform and ability to create something completely on their own that may not even be in the celebrity's control. It's a very interesting conversation. Yeah. But then it comes down to like, what are they supposed to do? And like, and then, and then I think it's hard to, because then it becomes, there's a line of like, well, like having these fan bases are like what made my career so successful. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't be where I am without these people today. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. 
Cause like, you don't want to call them out for being like crazy. Like, you don't. Yeah. When they're being crazy. Yeah. For fully. But also, when you know the behavior of your fan base, do you have a responsibility to not antagonize them and not spark? I mean, this goes back to like the whole Trump thing. Like, he didn't tell people to riot the Capitol, but he basically antagonized them all enough and sparked the fire in them to take that action knowing that they would is the thing. I mean, if you're going off of that model, then like she's fully responsible, but. Um, that's like a really far jump to, you know, compare the two scenarios. One's trying to tear down democracy and the other one's just trying to ruin a TV show on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I, I don't, you guys can't see, but Lynn's face is just like pure, just like torn, like just so torn. Don't know what to believe, what to think. So on that note, they, they made a point of the evolution of cults and what it looks like in our world now. Um, and the, they post the question of like, do you even need a charismatic leader? Like, tip, you know, traditionally in a cult, there is a charismatic leader leading people with these ideals and this like purpose and this meaning and this goal in life that, you know, that's providing that guidance, providing those steps and direction and everything. And these girls basically post the question of like, do you even need a charismatic leader to create a cult with mm-hmm. this social media world and this mass thinking? Um, it takes on a life of its own and it can turn into something so intense and so insane. And there may not even be a leader at the top of it. It's so, I would love to see someone like study that whole phenomenon. I feel Um, like no. And I feel like if anything, like social media has proved that like, you don't need a charismatic leader, I guess. Like, I think you could make the argument that like technically any like phenomenon that does occur, like has like some pinpoint, but I don't think that's always like a leader. Like, I think everyone now is so quick to just like latch on to whatever, like the next like big um, controversy or whatever it is. And I don't think that's always like, manifested into like a specific like person leading something like I'm it's weird because right now I'm thinking about like the whole like couch guy phenomenon and I guess you could argue that like couch guy like Mm, that's terrifying like couch guy isn't the leader but like the whole like just shared cause but like that's why I would say like that's a shared cause you know and like West Elm Caleb I'm like yeah we don't need like I don't know do you know what I'm trying to say absolutely like you can have a shared experience a shared cause a shared moral value a shared point of view that is driving this cult-like environment um I mean people have blinders on they cannot see left from right they get so deep into something that makes them feel so a part of something and makes them have a sense of belonging, makes them have a sense of purpose that you really lose sight of reality and like what the end goal here is, or like what's really productive in society. Like what's a really productive outcome here. I would argue that like social media in and of itself is a cult. Like, yeah, it is so like not even culty vibes, like a cult. Like it is mm-hmm. so and there's no like leader at that. It's literally just this like need for sense of belonging and validation. Like truly, I think that's a lot of what being in social media is. Yeah. Um, And the psychological effects on that, you know, decades from now will be very interesting. Mm. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I thought that was a very interesting question. It's like, you know, modern day cult behavior. Like, do we even need Mm -hmm. like 
a, a leader. Like a we leader. don't, I think we yeah. have to make our decision like a shared idea and then people will run wild. Yeah, totally. I think it will be interesting to see the way that celebrity fandom shifts, especially mm-hmm. in the world of cancer, cancel culture. Yes. Um, and how, you know, you and I talk a lot about how quick people are to shift mm-hmm. their ideals or how resistant people are to shift yes. their ideals. And it's, there's very little in between. Um, cool. Okay. So our last topic, one that I know, one that I know people love to talk about are MLMs, multi-level marketing. So, um, essentially MLMs are, have legal loopholes that differentiate them from being a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. And th- they were kind of, they briefly touched on these, uh, on this being a part of what it makes an MLM an MLM. Um, but I am really here. I, I might look more into like what these legal loopholes are that like really, truly differentiate them because like, that's gotta be such a thin line, but yeah, oh, they have, yeah. A, they have a pain recruit system. Yeah. Um, I have a lot to say about these initial reaction to MLMs and you can talk about it in like your life as well. Like I, you know, being an influencer and being reached yeah. out to it. I think this is so interesting because again, I think this is one of those things that like we see in our lives in such a subtle way, or like just in a way that we like brush it off that we don't even really kind of like give much thought to it. And until like Tressa brought this up with me and until I listened to their podcast episode, I don't think I really like realized how like much we actually see this in our lives. Like as soon as I like got done listening to the podcast, I feel like I could name off like five different things that I've seen in my life, like messages in my DMs. Like I like the episode, if you listen to their podcast episode, um, it starts out with like this woman, like leaving a voice memo. And I literally get those. I just, Oh wow. But I literally get those. And it's so just like, so weird to think about. I think about all the people I know who like promote Armon. I think about like Advocare, which is something that like I did. I mean, I didn't like promote it or anything, but like I bought it from like one of those people who was part of the thingies. And it's so crazy. Cause I think about like the only way I could get this stuff is if I went through someone else and it was, I don't know, it's wild. So I think just the concept of MLMs as a whole is very alarming. Um, I think, you know, we'll talk about this more, but it really just, I think out of all of the topics that we've talked about today, I think this one is like the most alarming to me because I feel like it's like the most financial investment combined with like the wellness aspect of it, I think is what makes it like the most scary, I guess, out of Mm -hmm. all of these to me, because I think it has like the most like severe impact on people's lives. If that makes sense. The loss is way higher. Yeah. 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 Like the impact for sure. I agree. I actually a hundred percent agree with Um, you. Yeah. That's wild that you just get like, get these voice you just get these voice memos in your DMs yeah. of girls being like, Hey, like you'd be so great at this. Yeah. They're like, are you a girl bass? Like, Oh, like I know. And they, and they find like specific things. They'll be like, Oh, like I saw you're in Seattle, like blah, blah, blah. Here's this like specific thing because like you're in Seattle, like you probably need like some kind of like vitamin D supplement. Like, I don't know. It's so weird. They get, they have been getting very creative with their marketing tactics, like really, mm-hmm. truly. And I think something they point out in this podcast is that they um, are, people are starting to spot them a mile away. And so they're having Mm -hmm. to get more creative in the way that they hide that they're an MLM. 
but nowadays I feel like there's so many of them. And like, as you grow up, you're so you're exposed to so many different versions of an MLM that you start to like be able to pin them a lot quicker. Um, but they, (laughs) they use this phrase pseudo feminist girl boss vibes. And I laughed so hard because I was like, Mm -hmm. that is literally like their, like their user base. Like that is the folks that are like involved in this, in this world, in this cult um are pseudo feminist girl boss <laughs> and it's quite interesting but so they talked about how you know they gather for conventions and um there was a lot of comparisons to mega churches which i have always kind of had this feeling of like mlm's like scream mega church vibes um and i think that you know they pointed out that like there so many of these mlms are tied to um Christianity um, or evangelicals, um, which is a very scary and sad marketing tactic because, I mean, to fuck with someone's religion and turn it into like like their job and their livelihood and everything is just so sad and just awful and shows how sinister these MLMs are. The, this podcast talks about like the cost to leave. And um, they, you know, sell, they shame you. They, they drag you into this world and preach and sell you this life and this dream um, that you could have one day. And if you decide to turn away from it, you're threatened to lose everything. You're threatened to lose your purpose in life, your family, your religion, like your giving up on your friends and family you're giving up on being the best you can ever be and like in no world should your job ever be that tied into who you are as a person yeah no there was something that one of the girls said in the podcast that like really just stuck out to me and it was it was about the jobs as well she was like your job should literally like you should only be working to get a paycheck that is all it should be it should not be like your sense of belonging it shouldn't be like what you rely on to you know feel I mean obviously you should feel good about yourself and accomplished in your work but like it shouldn't be your sense of social belonging and that's like exactly what these are And and that's what they target that's what they target. And it's so, I don't know. And they were, they also made like a comment about like, you all have that, like one girl from high school who like, you know, is like doing this. And like, you see like anytime you open your Instagram. And at first I was like, oh, that's kind of like a, oh, like that's quite the remark to make. And then I like sat and thought about it. And I was like, holy crap. I like, know." like outside of like my, cause I have my personal Instagram account and I have my like other Instagram account. And like, I could identify like all of what they were saying in both of them. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, I could name like five people off the top of my head who were very actively involved in MLMs in college. And I don't know what it says about me that I was never approached by any MLM in my life. But say about it. We're not ambitious yeah. enough. <laughs> like I do I not give girl boss vibes? Like I don't, or I'm just like, I don't know. It's I, I was thinking about that and I was like, I don't think I've ever been DM'd by an MLM gal, but um um, on the note of jobs, um, they talked about, and I was thinking about this as they were talking about this, you know, culty vibes of MLMs. 
And I mean, I would argue, I would go as far to say as like, there's not just culty vibes in MLMs, like it's a cult. <laughs> like, I think that's probably my take on it. But um, yeah. yeah, they, I was thinking about, I was like, they're, you know, they're talking about this whole lifestyle and like purpose and all this stuff. And I was just like working hard and getting more and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, a lot of what they're saying like kind of matches up like parallels like a lot of corporate america's like values um and they talked about it and they addressed it and i was so glad that someone said something about it uh, there is very much similar traits and values and tactics in corporate america and they're equally as toxic the only differentiator really truly is you're guaranteed a base salary and you're guaranteed benefits and the entry or the exit, the cost to leave is not tied into what well, should not be tied into you and your life so much that like you're destroyed if you leave, if that makes sense. And I was like, yeah, that's really interesting that there is only a few differentiating factors between MLM traits and values and like corporate America traits and values. But that is where we draw the line, people. Yeah. That that's it. We're not saying get involved in an MLM. That's not not the purpose here. Um, I watched the LuLaRoe docuseries. Did you ever watch it? No, I didn't. But I remember you telling me about it a while ago. Yeah, we. I think I think I talked about it on mm-hmm. this podcast like a long time ago. Um, if you're just like new to the MLM world or like curious, I think that's a great series to get a good vibe of um how they start, how people get hooked into it. Because I think a lot of times people look at MLMs and they're like, how would you fall for that? Like, truly, how do you fall mm-hmm. for that? Um, so they do a good job of, sh- of, po- of painting a good picture of it. Um, and the cool part about this docuseries is that they interview the, like, head of LuLaRoe. Like, the, the, like, the, <gasps> wow. the like, founders of LuLaRoe. And they talk about how it's created and how it got to be where it is. And, they like, I mean, they're interviewed. Like, they're a huge part of the whole docuseries, which I think yeah. is a very interesting point of view. And are shows they, how are they like defensive about it or like what it, or do they just kind of like come off as like everything that they've done and like created is justified? The latter, yeah, for sure. And I think that they interviewed them in a very particular way mm-hmm. as to not paint them in a negative light and to not frame them in a negative light, but to show the users who are watching what their reality is. Right. Okay. And to allow the users to really come to their own decision. And I think they're probably also betting on that. If you're watching a LuLaRoe docuseries, you know what an MLM is and you're aware of the like bad part of what all of this is and what they're saying. Like the founders might be saying something super positive and you're sitting there just being like, this is a load of bullshit. Um, But it's interesting. They did a good job with it. Yeah. I I agree with you. I think you have most potential, you have, this has the highest potential for, the deepest and most significant impact in being involved in this cult I don't know it's like I feel like that it's like a modern day cult like the title of this episode like that is yeah that is yeah and I also think with like social media again it has given MLMs like a new new wings truly (laughs) it is gonna be like scary to see how they do like have to end up changing their marketing tactics because I think like you said earlier you like at least I don't know, you and I can spot them clear as day. And like now when I see those things, I'm just like delete or like I'll listen to it to get a kick out of it and then delete it. So like, what are they going to do next? And that's like kind of alarming to think about, you know, because like there's always going to be a way. I think if I had to guess, I think what they're going to do 
is they're going to um, rope in influencers. I think they're going to find like- a way to rope in influencers mm-hmm. and influencers have the trust of their followers. And if they do a good enough job hiding the MLM vibes and the influencer is vouching for them, because why would an influencer ever vouch for an MLM? All right. That is a modern day cults for you. Um, hope that it, you know, maybe provoked some interesting thoughts in yeah. yourself. Maybe you're feeling a little called out like we are. That's okay. That's okay. We're, we're all here together. Yes. <laughs> we're going to make it through the modern day cults. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, again, shout out to Tressa for this idea. Definitely give Sounds Like a Cult by Amanda Montel and Issa Medina a listen. Um, great podcast and very interesting topics and very interesting, um, conversations. Yeah. Like Sho said, I hope this episode got you guys thinking. It definitely left us to do some reflection. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know where to go from here. <laughs> But make sure you guys follow us on Instagram at basically anxious pod so you never miss an upload. But until next week, we will talk to you guys all then. Bye. Bye.